the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. This passage that we're going to read in just a moment to one another, I want you to know it's coming from the Apostle Paul, and he's writing this message, this letter, to a guy by the name of Titus. Now, early in this letter, the book of Titus, he's telling Titus, who was on the Isle of Crete, to go around to all the cities and basically plant churches and to establish spiritual leaders. And then in chapter 2, he's now telling him what he needs to teach them to teach the people. And as I went through that, this dilemma came to my mind for some of you ladies. Your dilemma could be this. All right, we have Paul Mann telling Titus Mann to go to leaders, elders, pastors who are men to tell us women how to live. Now, how does that all fit together? Well, I would have that same dilemma that you might be struggling with. And yet at the same time, for a moment, we have to realize that God is bigger than every man and that it's all about His glory, and that it's all about His family or human dynamics. It's all found around the Lord. So I would say this to you, that God's way is still the better plan, and He's just telling these guys to help you to do what you can, because in the same context that we don't have time today to talk about, He is also speaking His word to men, what men should do, and young men, what they should do as well. So even though it's in a masculine context, I want you to know it's still God who really has lifted up women in society in such a proper way, and it puts it all together in such a special way for you so it's always for our benefit one other thought you might need to know that you might say well that our culture is so much worse than the culture in the bible you don't know the the messages that we're getting from the view or from the voice or from the squawk box or oprah whatever that's called and we're we're we're, we're buying into that subtly well i want you to know that the crowd that paul was going to eventually teach which be these women we're again on the Isle of Crete. Now, Crete is the largest island in the Mediterranean. And being the largest island, it's 160 miles long and 35 miles wide. And that island had many different cities in it. But it was also a place where the swashbuckling type pirates, the lowlifes, would be able to find a place to hide and have camaraderie on that island. And so that island was really filled with a lot of mostly lowlife people. And these were people that needed Christ. And in that same economy of unsaved people that were coming to faith in Christ, the message was still raise up guys, appoint quality elders, but also then teach older men, younger men, older women, younger men to do these things. And he would never, God would have never given that command, that injunction, if he didn't give us the ability to do it for his glory. So no matter what kind of society you might have grown up in, whatever type of background or ethnic or cultural background or lifestyle you come out of and you're dealing with right now, I want you to know as bad as that is, it will never be as bad as it was in Crete. Now, it may be in many ways equal to Crete, but maybe not as bad. But at the same time, I want you to know you can still rise above it. So that's really where we're going. And this is a simple little four-point message. And 
this uh, passage has been outlined many times by many different preachers, and I borrowed from here and picked that, went back to the Greek, and I've tried to put together a message that might be helpful to all of us. So let me read it to you, and then we'll kind of pick it apart in the time that we have remaining. So let me read it to you beginning in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through verse 5. And here's what it says in the Bible that I have in front of me. It says, But as for you, now Paul speaking to Titus, who's going to plant these churches, he says, Speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Then he says, now speak sound doctrine to the older women. Likewise, they are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands and to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that... The word of God will not be dishonored. It's interesting that there's a couple of words in here that might fit a little bit for the ladies here. At the beginning it says here, the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Uh, sometimes that word is used in a no more English, uh, old English, that it would become sound doctrine. It doesn't mean that these words will all of a sudden become sound doctrine as much as it is these words are going to enhance or they actually um, uh, can, um, coexist with sound doctrine. How many of you ladies ever saw another lady and you looked at them and you said, wow, that dress or that muumu or that blouse is so becoming on you? Well, that blouse doesn't become that person. It, it kind of enhances that person, maybe adds value. It kind of helps. It fits that person. It shapes that person. It just, it's that person. Well, what he's going to teach right now is equal to the sound doctrine. It's, this fits sound doctrine. This is what sound doctrine is all about, not just dusty orthodoxy, but it's real life principles. Later on in the same chapter, he talks about that sound doctrine would be adorned. That's a similar word that's used other times in Scripture that it means comes from a word that we would get our word cosmetics from. Now, I know it means cosmos, which means order, but cosmetics is the same thing. When a woman would wear cosmetics, we would hope that she wouldn't go to the mirror, put her cosmetics on, and then walk out, and then you look at her, and she looks like a uh, Ringling Brothers, Barnum & Bailey Circus clown. You know, you, you would, it would add value to her. It would kind of accentuate the positives that she already had. Did I say that right, ladies? Did I do that all right? All right, so cosmetics. I like what one writer said. He said, put on the lipstick of a kind tongue. Put on blush of purity and innocence. Put on a foundation of godliness, an eyeliner of compassion, a mascara of sincerity. Well, I don't want to talk too much about the outward, but I would like to talk about the inward and how that a woman can become beautiful from the inside out. And I'm going to ask you this question to see if you're ready for this. Are you wanting now to learn some truths to help you as a woman to become a godly person if you're single, a godly partner if you're married, a godly parent if you've got kids or grandkids, and maybe for some of you, a godly provider should you also have to help with the finances of the home or if you're a single mother. Are you ready for that? I hope you are. I hope you'd want to say, take me to another level, Pastor. Show me from the Word how I can become the, thing, the, the person that God would have me to be. Well, here are four. First of all, we need to do is to accept our mission. So ladies, if you really want to be this, there's a mission that you have that you need to accept. Now, we have a couple of our guys that are deployed. We have one that's just come back recently. They know what it's like when they sign up. They signed up to put themselves in harm's way, to be trained, to put themselves in harm's way so we could have the freedoms we have here today. So they've accepted their mission. Well, ladies, do you know that you also have a mission? In this whole context, it talks about the older men have a mission, the younger men have a mission, the older women have a mission, the younger women have a mission, but you have a mission as well. So 
Who has this mission? Who is to have this particular mission? Let's go back, if you will, for just a moment to verse 3. Here it says, Older women, likewise, are to be revered in their behavior. Then it goes on to say, Teaching what is good, so that they can encourage young women to do certain things. So older women have a mission to teach younger women in such a way that they would be training younger women to become something that God would have them to be. So your mission is to add value to the next generation. Now, in the context, your mission is going to be the following two, and I'm going to open these up as we go through it. So keep these two words in mind. First is for you to model before you become a mentor to the next generation. So in other words, you older women need to say, this is who I am. This is going to define who I am. And so it may not be so much how well you can cook or how well you can sew or what you can do in the community in your volunteer efforts or maybe even on a job. What's going to define you are the following areas, at least in this context. That's the model. That's word number one. Say the word model with me. Model. Now, I'm not talking about how you strut down the, the runway. We're talking about how you live your life. The second word I want you to remember is the word mentor. Can you say that with me? Mentor. So that means it's more than just, okay, I'll be right. That's good. But at the same time, part of the being right is you're going to take what God has given to you and you're going to engage in that next generation to pass down what God has given to you. But to do that, you have to be the model first so that they will be willing to listen to you and to see that that what you're living is not only challenging to do, but it's still doable through the Holy Spirit. So you have model and you have mentor, both of them going on at the same time. Now, I know when you read the word older there, most women, they don't like to be thought of as being older, and you never say old woman. You might say mature, but you'll never say old. But here it says old. So I have a question here. Where's the age between an older woman teaching a younger woman? Well, in this context, it doesn't give us a particular age. So it could refer just someone who is older than the person that you're going to mentor. It could be someone who is older, more mature-wise, spiritually, than the one who you're working with. So a young age could work with someone who is older physically age, but who is younger spiritually than this one. It could mean that. But for those of you that would like to go further in Scripture, there are definitions of older and younger regarding women. You'll find that in another passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5 that says that these older widows are not to be taken into the number that would be a registered number of people in the church to be taken care of, and then it gives the qualifications. One of those qualifications is the older woman in that passage is defined as age 60. So maybe when we see older here, it could refer to women that might be 60 or above, although I don't want to restrict it to that passage. Then you might want to use some just basic common sense. One of it would be that generally by the time you're 40 or 45, you women are ending your childbearing ages. And hopefully by the time you're 60 or 65, you're ending your child rearing stages. You get what I'm trying to say? So even then, older women would still be shifting to midlife or above. And so their job is to be able to teach the younger women. Well, to do that, that means older women need to be properly equipped from God's word on how to do that, to become that, and then to do that so that they will engage in the younger generation. And once they know to do that, they are that, then they actually have to do it. You know, like the Nike commercial, just do it. Now, I ask myself this question. Where will the younger women learn all of this stuff? Well, they're not, certainly not going to learn it from a secular worldview. In fact, that secular worldview is making it even harder for the older women to be able to help the younger women. Now, let's say it again. Now, at the same time, you younger ladies have to find an older woman who is modeling these principles that we're going to cover quickly here, hopefully, and at the same time are willing to engage in your life. 
Now, this is going to sting a little bit, and I want to say it in as much love as I possibly can. I'm not so sure that you need to be overloaded with more what you need to be. You get a lot of that here at church. We will specify it in this passage. And I don't know that you need a lot of reminder that you need to mentor the next generation. I think most of you carry that weight of responsibility, and you sense that, and you want to do that. If there was one area that's not in this passage very clearly but fits our culture is this. While we know what we should be and what we should do, our biggest nemesis is going to be our time. We get so caught up in so many uh, ancillary things that all of a sudden when we're asked upon to take care of someone else, other younger women, we don't do that. We barely have enough time for our own children, barely have enough time for our own husbands. There's a possible answer for that. That's possibly why he says older women do this because by then the children are mostly taken care of and are grown. So now you can take on another, quote, adoptee, if you know what I'm saying, a younger woman to do this with. So that's why they would have that. So most of your time is you spending time with an older woman to equip you. But to do that, you have to look at your schedule and with a, a degree of prayer and spiritual discernment and a passion to do it right, you need to offload. And let me tell you, you don't need to get rid of the bad stuff. What we need to do is to get rid of the good stuff so we have time to do the great stuff. Did you catch what I'm saying? So it's not that there's such bad stuff in your life. Our ladies are really, they're peddling as fast as they can. Now it's just, what's good, but I need to put the great in there. So I need to accept my mission. Now this mission in here is not a suggestion of the Lord. What I'm sharing with you now, ladies, and and I love you, but men have the same thing. There's a mission in there. It's another message for the guys. Just know that. But this is a command. This is something that God says, I need to do this. Now, doing this brings glory to the Lord. Watch this. Doing this command, obeying it, also brings you the very fulfillment that you so desire to have that you might be thinking you can get it from other sources and other ways. And God says, this is what we need to park into. So I hope you'd, 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 you'd own that little passage there. Now, you might say, well, what does an older woman have to teach a younger woman? Well, a lot of times it's this, very carefully. While you're teaching them God's word... You're also teaching them how to apply God's word to the very situation of their life. My mom was one who, um, I have an older brother. And between my older brother and me, there's 15 years. And there's there's over a half a dozen stillborn babies. And then I was born. I am so glad that there was an older woman that came into my mom's life when there was that question of whether or not she should try to abort me in 1950, which would have been horrific any time, but physically and medic- medically it had been horrific, or to um, cast me off or whatever. And now I'm here today speaking to you, and I'm so glad that my mom had the fortitude then to say, you know what, we'll have as many children as God wants us to have even though we've lost so many. And now I have a younger sister who's 15 months younger than me living a very productive, healthy, wonderful life in San Antonio, Texas. And it was because it was an older woman like seated right now in your seat that came alongside my mother. And with some little practical encouragement said that no matter how your son might turn out or child, that child has value. And I hope I'm honoring that value today. But I want you to know you older women have that mission. It's a wonderful mission. It's a tough mission. But the toughness is minor compared to the wonderful benefits of it. The blessings outweigh it all. So that's the mission. Let's go a little bit further here because I want to talk a little bit about our motive. And I'm going to kind of jump over a couple of verses because you may be asking this question, okay, if that's my mission, why should I do this? Well, the passage gives it to us in the end of verse 5. 
At the very end, it goes through all what you need to do. You need to, you need to model this stuff. You need to mentor the ladies. You need to have it in your life. And then it says this, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. So here's your motive. In other words, why would you adjust your schedule? Why would you become the woman of God that God wants you to be? Why would you want to display it wherever you go from the inside out? Why would you want to take on a commitment of a relationship with a younger woman to be able to do this? The real reason is ultimately at the end of it all is so God's word would not be dishonored. In some translations that say it will not be blasphemed, which means to be evilly spoken against. In another, ver another uh, passage of scripture, it says so that the enemy will not bring reproach. Now the enemy is certainly Satan, but it's Satan using the world to come against that would be Christian. And they're doing that all the time. And so the word is being dishonored because so many older women are not teaching younger women. And it could be their issue or it could be the younger women who are not willing to put themselves underneath an older woman to meet with them on a regular basis to be taught to be the things that we're going to talk about in just a moment. So whatever it is, the word of God could be dishonored. And when I look at that, that means it's not just like it might happen. It says so that the word of God will not be dishonored, which means that there's high potentiality that the word of God is being dishonored if we don't use this biblical mechanism of helping out the next generation of ladies. So I want you to know our motive is to do that. So the word of God is not spoken against. Christianity is not denigrated. And that our next generation of young ladies turn out to be champions for the faith, champions for their calling, champions for womanhood, champions for everything that God wanted them to be because he chose for them to be born a woman. And that's a high calling. It's not an accident. It's not a second. Or it's not an afterthought. You women have great dignity. Which now brings us down to the third. So we talked about our motive. Our motive is I want to do this so that the word of God is not dishonored, that God is glorified in Scripture, that everything is all for Him. But the third is that we want to model a godly manner of life. We want to model a godly manner of life. And so I need to take a moment here because I have to answer the question, what would be a godly manner of life? Well, obviously it's going to be Scripture from cover to cover, but then he also kind of singles out and gives the, the older women a job description. Okay, this is your job description. Yeah, you, you want to do good in everything you do, but right now, if you're going to be taking on the next generation of a woman here, this is what you need to do. So let's look at it very carefully. This is the modeling. Modeling means that it's already in your life. You're not just doing sin management. It's real. So it says older women, likewise, are to be reverent. Now, in my Bible, I drew a line from the word likewise because likewise to what? Women are to be like what? Like who are to be these things? Who are they to be like? We'll go up to verse 2. It's in the context. They're to be like the older men. I don't mean that they have beards and all. <clears throat> Maybe when you do get older, you get more facial hair. I don't know. But anyway, going back to the men here, it says they're to be temperate. So likewise, you could add all of what it says in verse 3 and verse 4 and verse 5, so to speak. But you can add to that verse 2 because like the men, they're to be self-controlled. By any type of, of um, uh, influence in your life that would draw you away from God, that would fill your flesh. Dignified doesn't mean that you have to be somber. It does mean you need to be sober and not silly. You're dignified. It doesn't mean that you're aloof or that you've got a lot of pride. You walk around with your head stuck high. It doesn't mean that. Dignified just means that you have a sense of right and wrong and seriousness about you. That, uh, practically speaking, it means you wouldn't laugh at an off-color joke kind of a thing. You wouldn't be drawn into some of these television comedies that have all that junk. Then it says sensible, which means that you have basic spiritual sense, common sense. You have the ability to make decisions that are discerning. You're sensible. You're not drawn away with every whim. Then you're sound. That means healthy in three areas. Faith. Older men are strong in faith. That means you ladies need to be strong in the faith, in the 
context of Scripture, that you are learning and growing, even doctrine is important for women, in love, not the sentimentality of sweet sentimentality, but a sweet, loving, God-like loving for those that are the unlovable, in perseverance, I mean steadfastness, usually when you get a little bit older, you might get a little bit more unstable, here the point is to be stable and strong. Pastor Dennis and I do a lot of funerals, and one of the points we make in the memorial services that we do is we try to get a background of the person who passed away, and in nearly all of them, and frankly, I can't remember one that didn't do this, that when they found out that they were going to die, if they still had their right mind, they fought death normally. That's a normal thing to do. They didn't just give up, oh, I just wanted to die. No, it wasn't that. They, they looked at that end of life, and even though they were going through tremendous suffering, pain, and affliction before they finally expired, they were still stable and persevering to the very end of their life. They didn't lose it at the end of their life. And that's what's older men. Now, all that's for the man. So men, I hope you're listening to that. Me especially, because in a sense I'm older. But now the women do that, but they take on a little bit more. Then it says, likewise, they're to be reverent, in their behavior. That's an unusual phrase that's often used in a behavioral way that maybe would be similar to a priest. Not that they're priest-like, but it would be that they would have this aroma, this fragrance, this righteousness, as if a priest would go into the temple, and as many times as they would go in, they would have all this incense stuff burning. And while they're doing their stuff, they'd come out of that temple, and when they did, they would still have the aroma of the fragrance. So in other words, there'd be a holiness about you, a closeness with the Lord so much that your behavior would show it that when we're around you, your countenance, the things that you say, the things that you do would be reverent, focused upon God. Have you ever been to our family camp and you sit around the campfire and by the time you go back to your tent, you're in the tent, you're thinking, what's burning? Oh, no, it must be me. I still smell a smoke from the, from the fire that we had. Well, in this way, it's I'm so close to the Lord that I just kind of effervescent the Lord in my behavior, a reverent behavior, a reverence about us, an idea to live for the Lord in such a special way. Then it says not malicious gossipers. It doesn't say that you, not to be idle chatterers. It's the word malicious there, and that brought together is the idea of Satan. He's used, that phrase is used in various forms 34 times to refer to Satan. So it's a, it's a gossip where that you choose to say something about someone else who's not around in such a way that you have chosen usually willfully, to leave an impression with that other person about something negative of someone else who cannot defend nor explain himself. And so you go about dividing up the group. So it's saying here, don't be like this. That's with the older women. You're to be reverent, not malicious gossips, not enslaved to much wine, which means, if you remember in those days, the wine in the Bible days is a lot different than the wine that we drink here. So, well, it does mean not too much wine because the more of even the old... Uh, formulas of wine. You can drink a lot of that and still get drunk. The simplicity of it is this, that there's nothing in your life externally that will so influence you and control you to keep you away from making the right decisions that you need to make. So you can just kind of widen it beyond wine, although in this passage it would be wine, and it wouldn't surprise me too much because remember they're coming from the Isle of Crete, which they're coming out of a lifestyle of great debauchery in most cases. So it says here, not according to a lot of wine. Don't drink, don't drink a lot of wine. Don't be enslaved by it, it's actually saying. Then it says, teaching what is good. So you have the idea of teaching what is good. So that's the modeling. So I'm to model by showing a reverent behavior, not malicious gossiper, not enslaved to enslaving habits, and I need to be a teacher. In other words, my purpose is to add value to others. So that's the modeling part. That's the good behavior part. That's what God wants me to do. Which now brings us to the last one, which is to communicate your message. That's found in end of verse 3, but mostly at verse 4. So that 
In other words, in order for you to have a a platform upon which to speak, you have to do verse 3. You have to be that kind of person so that you may, as an older woman, encourage the younger women to do the following. Now, that's what it says in the New American, but actually it's the word train. So, in other words, the best training I have is to show them how to do it first. In other words, I'm doing it. Then I'm going to teach what is good to them. And it's kind of a broader statement of teaching what is good. But part of that teaching what is good now is to train them, to get alongside them. So I'm giving it to them. I'm watching them through it. I'm letting them know where the boundaries are. I'm listening. I'm coaching them. I'm giving them what they need to become that godly woman that they should be. Now, in this context, what should they do? First of all, it says to love their husbands. Now, you see the word love their husbands? That's because there are a lot of other men out there, and it was easy perhaps for them not to love their husbands. In this particular culture, it was like this. You marry the person, and then you learn how to love them. In our culture is fall in love. Get involved with all of that romantic, that, um, uh, all that's involved in a relationship that gives you those wonderful gooey feelings that you have. And then you get married, and you make the commitment work afterwards. Now, I'm not saying that's bad. I'm just saying that that's how we work in this culture. But in that culture, whoever you married, you had to then work on loving the person. Here we love them first, then we get married. There they got married, and all of a sudden, what do we do now? And they didn't know how to love. What's biblical love? What's helping them go to their next level? What is accepting them? Where do you draw the line where you make an appeal when they're doing something wrong? How do we demonstrate Christ-like love to them? You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.